Welcome back to the Really Useful Podcast. It's series four of our tech podcast for technophobes on makeusoft.com. My name is Christian Colley and with me this week is Megan Ellis. Hey, Megan. I'm good, thanks. And you? Yeah, I'm great, thanks. It's the back end of the summer. We have taken a summer break from the podcast and we're back uh, this week with a back to school special to give you some tips and tricks for uh, preparing and heading off to college or university. Uh, Megan, uh, what was the uh, world like when you went to college? Well, it it was only six years ago, as I calculated earlier, but it feels like eons. Um, yeah, it, it was similar, but it feels like a lot has changed. Um, and But in terms of like workflows and what students are expected to do, it's 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 very much similar. Um, okay. And for you? <laughs> um, when I went to college, you did not get a laptop. Um, you, um, there was big rooms full of computers that you could use. Uh, not just when I went to college, same when I went to university as well. Uh, a few people had their own PCs, but most people just used facilities and took pen and paper home. Uh, mm. my, my sister, who's five years younger than me, she when she started, she got a... Now, I, I want to say this was an Amstrad device. I'm not entirely sure. It was possibly an Amstrad device, um, which is basically a keyboard. It might have been a JVC. But it was basically a keyboard about the size of a laptop, a, a compact laptop, but without the flip top. And it's a keyboard with an LCD display that you could angle up. And mm-hmm. that was that was the that was the alternative. That was the word processor that they got. I think they got for quite a low price, if not for free, um, from the institution. Yeah, when so, I yeah, started, the netbooks were coming out, but there wasn't such a big um, variety of like ultrabooks and slim laptops. You either had the normal laptop or you had a netbook. Yeah. Um, so it, it's definitely there's so much more for students to choose from and even like online resources um there are definitely more because i mean in the space i mean six years is when i graduated but in that space of time you know how technology has just like vastly improved and i mean yeah note-taking abilities even on your phone now are so much more capable um and i mean you'd be able to technically i don't know if you used something like the Samsung Dex, you could get away with that sometimes nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. definitely there's a lot more out there and at a better price range for students. Sure. Um, so um, with that in mind, we're going to be looking at today um, the best laptops you can get for under £400, which includes cheap Linux laptops as well, because when we talk about word processing this and programming, um, particularly on spreadsheets, um, you probably don't need to be operating system specific. You can be quite agnostic about it. Uh, we'll be looking at some websites for students, some computer chairs, and the best Windows apps for students. Uh, let's get started with this collection of uh, laptops because most kids are going to head off saying they need a new laptop or tablet or similar or hybrid. And in many cases, that's true. Um, Regardless of the case, the situation, perhaps it's not a great idea to be spending hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds or even thousands of dollars on a laptop when there are cheaper, more affordable 
alternatives. Um, there's just some of the ones that have come to light. Um, our colleague, Mayor Patkar, has uh, rounded up the best options for 2019. The surface go is, a, on paper, a good option, but he declares it is not a proper laptop. Now, I would say that it isn't a great option because you have to pay another $100 on top of 399 mm. for for a keyboard. So it's a $500 laptop, essentially. And I think that's really going to rule it out because it's more than it pretends to be, basically. Yeah. Um, having used the Surface Pro, uh, the on-screen keyboard is pretty good. But for, for a device like that, I think you really do need the real keyboard, the physical keyboard, mm. so skip so it's good reason to skip it. So all the options are the Acer Aspire E15, uh, which is uh, under $400. It's around $309.99 at the time of recording. The Asus VivoBook E403NA, which uh, is available for under $400 as well. The Dell Inspire on the 11 3000 is a flip laptop, so it will um, basically flip over sort of nearly 360 degrees. That's $409.99. The ASOS Transformer Mini T103 is very, uh, it's a mini tablet. It's very surface-like. So that's $379. So that might be a smarter option for you. The Chromebook Spin 11 is, obviously, it's a Chromebook. So it's running the Chrome OS rather than Windows. And that's another one that's uh, convertible that uh, you can flip the lid right back on. Ah. Uh, now, I'm, I've for a long time been a fan of affordable, cheap laptops, and I'm glad to say that in this list, there's nothing from Lenovo, because I bought a cheap laptop from <laughs> Lenovo, and things didn't go well. It eventually broke at the hinge, and there were security issues with all Lenovo hardware at the time of purchase. So I think it's um, reassurance that there's nothing from Lenovo in there. Are you familiar with any of these devices, Megan? Um, I, I haven't really had personal experience uh, with many of these devices. Um, I upgraded to a laptop about uh, my current laptop about two years ago, so I haven't really been in the laptop market. But um, I mean, definitely in terms of affordability and looking at specs, personally, if I had to look at the specs, the most appealing would be the Asus by E15. I mean, it's it's processor is a bit old. It's only an i3, but I mean, you get six gigs of RAM and a terabyte hard drive. And that seems like quite good value. The, the only thing um, that Mahir points out is that it's a bit bulky for everyday portability but mm-hmm. I did go to university at a time where every laptop was was bulky. I went to university with a five kilogram laptop or something crazy like that <laughs> when I first went and then upgraded to one that was like three kilograms. So on wheels? <laughs> you'd think so. Um, so this is definitely um, for a student I think it would it's good value. I mean some people do want um, a lighter thing like the Vivo book looks quite light. Um, other people really enjoy the the whole flip laptop. I personally would rather put more money into specs than like these features like being able to flip them or detachable tablet with stylus, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, overall, these tablets are Celerons and Atoms and old pension mm. and mobile pension processors. It's only the um, Asus by Re15, which you just mentioned, which is an i3. Uh, mm. Yeah, I, I mean, 
I'm not sure which one I would go for. I think I'm not sure which one I would choose, but I would be I would be more inclined to go for something that's lightweight that I can just pick up and stick in my bag and quickly exit room A and head to room B or whatever. Um, whether room A and room B are cafes or libraries or or lectures or whatever. I think portability is important at, at this stage of life uh, with the current lifestyle. So yeah, what, what, something like the uh, which I've, I've used something similar in the past, the Asus Transformer Mini 103. I've actually, in my drawer next to me, I've got an old Asus tablet that came out at the same time as the original Microsoft Surface, which I'm trying to uh, install Android on for my dad. So I'd probably go for something along those lines. Well, let's move on because you're not limited to just Windows laptops and Chrome OS. There are cheap Linux laptops available. Uh, excuse me, the Acer... Aspire E15 comes with a Linux option. So that's one thing um, that carries over from uh, our previous discussion. There's a Starlight Mark II, which is another, um, which is a rare kind of uh, Linux laptop that's what we could probably call affordable. There's the mm -hmm. Acer Aspire 1A114, which is £215 if you're taking the Linux option, which is good. My favourite, though, is Pine64's Pinebook Pro. Now, I've used the um, Pinebook 64, not the Pro version, but the Pinebook 64. The Pinebook Pro is about $200. The Pine64 is $100, which is $99. Um, which I reviewed for Make Use of some months ago. And while the keyboard was a little bit uncomfortable to start with, um, they, you wouldn't have known you were using an ARM Linux device for basic tasks, uh, word processing, browsing, email, spreadsheets, um, coding, image editing, all those apps are present and correct to install or the pre-installed. Uh, you can maximum, uh, you can expand the onboard storage. It's only come to four gigabyte RAM. But the fact that this gadget, this piece of kit was basically, the biggest component was the display. Um, there's a tiny ARM computer inside it, um, you know, more powerful than a Raspberry Pi, but along similar sort of lines, somewhere between a Raspberry Pi and maybe a, an Android tablet, perhaps, in terms of um, the actual hardware itself. For $100 or $200 for the Pro version, I don't think you can go wrong with either of those, really. Mm. Yeah, Surprising. definitely see it's lightweight too. It's only 1.2 kilograms. Yeah. Equipped with 4 gigs of RAM. It's very good price for around 200 Absolutely. Oh, yeah, I mean, I was, I, was, I was totally blown away by it. I mean, it doesn't have a touchscreen or anything like that, but in terms of having a laptop that's lightweight, you can put in your bag and get out and do work on. You're not going to be playing many games, although there are games that you would be able to run. <laughs> um, in fact, I simply call I install FreeSiv. So, you know, there's that. Um, but, you know, for an affordable laptop, you can't go wrong for $100 on a Linux laptop that actually works um, and does everything that you need to do in terms of um, college and university work. I mean... If you're going into the arts and you're planning on heavy image editing or video editing, then it's not the option for you. But for everything else, yeah, you can get away with it. Uh, mm. Let's move on, Megan, to some websites. Because there are websites that students should know about. And I'm, I'm, when I was a student, there weren't any websites that you should know about <laughs> other than, other than Alta Vista and Excite. 
and he kind of went <laughs> there. Um, during the war. Um, <laughs> not that old. But, uh, yeah, so um, I, I'm looking at these. We've got free for students, best free stuff for students. We've got student.com, find the best accommodation. We've got Iris AI, find research papers with AI. We have sleepy time for a good night's sleep. We have student recipes for quick recipes you can make. Cheatography, cheats, sheets, and cheats. Cheatography, <laughs> cheat sheets, and quick references in advert and tongue twister. Student rate, grab the best deals and discounts. Brainly, seek answers from the community. And student loan hero, repay your student loan with a plan. Um, as a more recent ex student than me, which, which ones do you think you would have found most useful, Megan? Definitely the searching research papers with AI. Um, we didn't really have that kind of capability. You either had to go straight to the library to search like the university database. You couldn't um, access it externally or we used a site called JSTOR and, and that wasn't very easy to navigate through. It was useful, but it, it wasn't that easy. And then also Google Books, which, as you know, um, locks a lot of content behind paywalls. So um, definitely the Iris AI, um, that's great because you always need references and especially as um, you go on further in your degree or your postgraduate stuff, um, you need research papers and proper research um, and you definitely can't be quoting Wikipedia. So yeah. um, that would be great. Student.com, I imagine, is useful if you're in like an urban area, you're not staying in a university residence where I went um university it was a university town so there there were specific student residences um but i think if you go in an urban area that that's a great thing student recipes i mean i was fine but i know of a few guys who got scurvy while in university <laughs> yeah so i think if if you've never learned how to cook uh, this is this is a good way to get some easy recipes you can make and were not they, get were scurvy they were they? Were they pirates? pirates? No, you'd think so. But apparently <laughs> all they ate were potatoes and meat and beer. And they all got scurvy um, <laughs> from doing that. Um, and then, yeah, cheatography looks pretty cool. I used to use it during um, school, actually. There was a really good site that aggregated uh, notes on like um, novels and stuff so when I was studying for my final exams in school I was able to to access these notes and like it was just a nice summary and to explore themes that maybe the the teacher had missed in class or whatever um, and that was great so I imagine cheatography is similar um, in that way in that it has notes on on a bunch of things, um, more than just English novels. Um, and then Brainly, because Googling questions don't always yield great answers. I always get like Yahoo answers, I'm pretty sure has been like retired. And then there's Quora, which a lot of people just spam with like advertising links. So a student focused question answer platform can definitely be useful. Um, for people looking for real answers, not people just promoting their books or something. I think from this list, um, probably the best, I think m what might prove to be the most useful of these might be student.com to find the best accommodation. Mm. Um, certainly when I uh, 
I went to university briefly around 22 years ago. I went to university briefly twice and um, I decided that uh, being around people drinking a lot wasn't really for me. Um, But the the actual process of moving was really difficult and finding somewhere to live was basically walking into an office and looking at notes on the the wall. Mm. And it was really, really awful way of going about it. So having something that you can check from the comfort of your own home uh, or wherever, the comfort of wherever you want to be, like on student.com, I think that's probably a better option. Now, I'm not saying that it's perfect. I, I think, you know, a big, the housing marketplace for students is a massive in, uh, sort of industry or sub-industry in housing. So it's very difficult to um, make the right decision. So having as much information as possible at your fingertips is probably a massive advantage that could potentially save money in the long term. Mm. And it's definitely good for the price comparison to get a, a preview of the places, that kind of thing. Um, I think the only limitation is that it's limited to certain countries and certain cities within those mm. countries. So uh, I see it lists South Africa here, but it doesn't have Cape Town, which um, is a bit strange because <laughs> we've got quite a, quite a big student housing um, thing here, industry here, and several universities located in close proximity. But if I see maybe United States, for example, okay, there's a lot more. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, let's let's choose somewhere a bit smaller, like Salem. I assume Salem's smaller, yeah. So then you'll there's only one room, so it is a bit limited. Um, I think more people maybe need to more providers essentially need to get online. Um, yeah, but I think if you're in a bigger area with a um, thriving student housing market uh, i think it will definitely help no doubt no doubt uh let's move on we're uh, going to take a look at computer chairs mm. now i haven't bought a chair in some years now um due to being quite flexible in where i work mm. um, which is usually switches between the kitchen table and a cafe I'm one of those people that works in cafes that other writers either want to be or absolutely hate because they can't do it. <laughs> I've, I've got, I've actually got a, uh, there's a fellow writer who lives nearby who's um, kind of well known in the industry and he absolutely hates people who can work in coffee shops and spends endless hours <laughs> taking the piss out of them on Facebook or Twitter. Not because he genuinely hates them, but because he can't do it. Yeah, I couldn't do it either. It's like a, it seems like a great way to be productive, but I get headaches very quickly from having mm-hmm. my laptop too low. And like maybe a few years ago, it, it would have been fine. But yeah, nowadays I have to have a standing desk set up and perfect eye alignment. So I, I mean, the value of investing in, in a chair is important um, because students spend a lot of time at the PC, especially more so if they're... Uh, gamers as well or they they use their computer for other activities for their hobbies as well and I mean you you saw the the whole thing about um, teenagers now developing so-called horns (laughs) from staring at their smartphones but what they're actually developing um, is bone spurs at the back of their necks and it's actually a huge problem among younger people and 
our spines are basically degrading at a much faster rate than than older people. So especially when you enter the working market and that kind of thing, you want your your back and your posture to be in the best shape possible because um, yeah, these repetitive strain injuries open up a whole world of hurt and are like a huge result of disability in the US. So I mean, it seems like, okay, you can get away with just like a plastic dining chair, but it's actually a really good investment to invest in proper posture and a, a chair that gives you good support. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've, I mean, I've had very good chairs over the years. When I used to have a dedicated office, I had a, a very, very nice swivel chair with various uh, positioning options and an armrest. Um for I mean, what you buy is going to de- depend entirely on your budget mm. and your particular situation scenario, and also the amount of space you've actually got at your desk. Because mm. some some chairs do turn out to be absolutely huge, don't they? Yeah, definitely. And those gaming chairs, people people tend to to like with the high profiles, but they're they're more about looks than functionality and what I like about this list is it actually looks at the features of the chair the adjustability that kind of stuff um yeah things like gaming chairs don't they're all about the looks they don't actually offer that much support and ergonomic sure features. again this is uh this is a list by me here and mm. I think we'll, we'll just um I'm not, I'm, I'm going to give you one recommendation um check out this yourself along with everything else in this week's really useful podcast it will be in the show notes um there are a few thumb rules to go by you've got the fabric versus leather versus mesh um, mm-hmm. you've got the adjustment essentials for the height of the seat how far back it can tilt and the height of the armrests and if you're on a budget you can check discounted furniture resellers for a general option that is not expensive but will do the job sort of over a short term um the amazon basics mid back mesh chair is slap bang in the middle with a very good price it's uh, currently around 65 dollars so it's in a sort of 50 area it's uh, it's going to do the job for you but it's probably not going to do the job long term but it's, it's a good stop gap um as noted check the article for the full list we're going to move on now to our final item in our back to school really useful podcast special um essential windows apps for students Mm. now megan what did you use as a student regularly google drive definitely (laughs) (laughs) it's just especially when you're moving between computer labs on campus or different classrooms it's like a life a lifesaver to be able to just sync up all your work and not have to worry about um carrying a flash drive with you that type of thing it it was incredibly useful um i mean you technically don't need to use like upload to drive anymore now now you can just like use google docs it automatically kind of syncs with drive um but it's definitely it's something I still use today that I can switch between my devices without having to worry about whether my work is saved and synced up. Um, and it's free. So, I mean, that's <laughs> a big selling point for me. I um, Now, I have been a student since I was at university. I've done um, Open University. So I would it would be inaccurate of me to pretend that um, I never used a computer at university. However, um, it was all email and uh sort of um 
collaborative tools with the university. And so, again, I, I really can't offer an awful lot into this conversation. <laughs> um, beyond sort of using Notepad or Notepad++ because I was doing um, web development courses. Uh, so I'm going to go through this list um, by uh, Rahul Saigal, uh, Nine Essential Windows Apps for Students. And it starts off with OneNote, which, I, you know, I, I do feel that OneNote is possibly getting a little bit too bulky these days um, mm. in terms of if you have a OneNote, and you add everything into it, you end up with this huge, vast collection that needs quite a bit of maintenance. So, uh, yeah, I mean, it's a good option. I, th I think maybe you need to be careful how you use it, though, before it does become unwieldy. Uh, Google Drive, as Megan mentions, for many, many great reasons. Anki flashcards, old school learning technique. Uh, my homework, handy student planner. Everyone needs to plan what they're doing. I use Google Calendar uh, for mm. uh, Wolfram Alpha Research Facts and Figures. Um, I, I, you know, if, if that's the type of uh, studying that you're doing, then you should definitely have access to Wolfram Alpha uh, for, for science and maths and latest topics. Uh, the Polar Bookshelf Manager for Web and PDF Files. I'm not entirely convinced about this one. Uh, again, I haven't been a student for a long time. But I don't I'm not I'm not I'm not 100 percent saying that it's really the best use of space on a computer for managing documents. I think maybe you can get away with not using it. Um, the Zotero personal research assistant um, is another option. Grammarly. I'm not a big fan of Grammarly either. Um, oh, I've, really? I've used Grammarly to edit a book, help edit a book a few years ago. And it was really, really did not do a good job. So I'm, I'm, there is every chance that they've improved the software over the years. Um, so but I, I do have a, a problem with Grammarly because of the um, because of that because of that incident. Um, you know, we're talking like quite a lot of words and expecting quite a lot of editing. I ended up having to pay someone to edit it. Uh, mm which wasn't ideal and rightful write your assignments with confident it's a good kind of um it's kind of a, a live checker on what you're writing mm -hmm. and give you the, be the best way of putting in best way of phrasing things best words to use but um so it combines various thesaurus dictionary tools reference tools and uh, make helps you end up with uh, something that's I think one of the most important things about writing with confidence and writing in general, writing with confidence is coming, coming across as confident and not nervy, not um, falling into the trap of over complicating things and over explaining things. And it definitely, I like that it has the tips for improving your writing. So it's not just about uh, grammatical correctness. It's about... yeah. Things like, are you using um, too too many of the same words? Um, it helps give you cinnamon, synonyms, <laughs> synonyms in context, which I like because a lot of students don't get coached on how to write essays. So, I mean, I was studying journalism and the first thing they did was talk about writing. 
um, and, you know, not reusing same phrases, not using cliches, that type of thing. But that was specifically what my degree was oriented around. So people just writing essays in other kinds of um, fields, even other humanities degrees, didn't get this type of um, feedback until it was too late (laughs) when they're getting marked down on their essays. So... I think it's definitely helpful in just improving your writing because it's it's not just about laying out facts. Uh, lecturers will mark you down on their, their own personal nuances and things like whether you're using too many of the same phrases and that kind of thing. So I definitely think that can help make, yeah, make people more confident in their writing skills. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm inclined to edge towards that as the, as the most important of these apps um, but again you can check the uh, full list in our show notes uh, we are the really useful podcast from makeuseof.com we're the tech podcast for technophobes um, if you found anything useful or you know someone that would find what we've been discussing useful let them know give them a copy of this podcast uh, tell them where to find it you'll find us on itunes stitcher.com transistor fm and pretty much anywhere you can find podcasts online uh we'll be back um next week and we're, we're here for a full run through to the end of november where we will finish off with a seasonal special from megan ellis and myself christian corley that's all for this time uh as ever check the show notes for everything we've discussed this week and uh, we'll see you again next time until then it's goodbye bye